Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, June 23rd. We have an event center deal on the books. Now, what about a field house for the city? We get an update on the project from Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Summer is finally here. So how can we prevent sun damage to our exposed skin? We catch up with leading dermatologist Dr. Fane Fry for some tips to stay safe while enjoying all the season has to offer. And finally, the next couple of months can be very challenging for separated or divorced parents from scheduling vacations between two households decisions surrounding summer camps to family reunions and even weddings. We get some advice on how to navigate the season from Elizabeth Stewart, family lawyer at Calgary-based firm Sobe Boyden-Lenz. She is a busy lady but still made some time to squeeze us into her schedule ahead of our regular time on Friday mornings here on QR Calgary. Mayor Jody Gondek joins us to chat about the latest news from City Hall. Good morning, Mayor. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, Sue and Andy. It's nice to chat with you. Okay, so let's talk about the field house. This has been an ongoing. I, this almost has been a discussion as long as talk about a new arena. So we've now got a study that was completed on the cost of the field house. What details can you share with us about the future of this project? Well, I have to tell you, the talk of the field house has been around since as long as I've been alive. It started in the late '60s, um, and it's a little bit embarrassing that we've been talking about it and not really taking any action. Mm-hmm. So. I'm really happy to see that particularly under the leadership of Councillor Jasmine Meehan, the committee has been able to come to a decision on what the design should look like. And it's incredible. It includes a gymnasia. It includes an astroturf field as well as a track component. And the reason this is pretty significant, if you talk to anyone who's a competitive athlete that needed to train for track, they'll tell you they have to drive up to Edmonton consistently, and we still don't have anything. So the impact for us to be able to host major events and really bump up our tourism revenue is pretty significant with this type of a project. Do you think, uh, Madam Mayor, that, that that is part of it? And I know from my personal experience, I heard Fieldhouse and I thought, okay, you know, just football, maybe rugby, but I think we kind of get lost in the fact that it will be such a multi-purpose facility. Yeah. That's the, that's the biggest thing. You can convert a lot of these areas to accommodate all types of different sport. Uh, for the pickleball enthusiasts, they'll be able to accommodate about 32 different courts in here. Um, for people that are training for track, it is incredible. And when it comes to the field size, um, it's a one-and-a-half size field because the economies of scale were such that we were able to do that. So uh, the proposal is going to be coming forward to council very soon. And it's a very strong one. So, you know, congratulations to the committee for doing this work. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mayor, let's say, uh, if we could, before we let you go, find out what's the latest on the permit parking. It's been uh, an ongoing controversial discussion in the city. What have you got for us? Well, uh, you know, at the risk of being boring, let me explain what happened this week. The decision to charge the way that we had structured the fee schedule, the decision to charge for those residential parking permits was made by the previous council in 2021 and then the actual fees were set in the budget of November uh, 2022 just last year and 14 members of council voted in favor of this so I mean it, it begs the question why did they not make these arguments during budget time when we were setting these fees and I also need to clarify for Calgarians it is not a fee that you have to pay this is the opportunity for a protected parking spot outside of your home should you wish one it's not an automatic charge so that's what the program is and what happened on tuesday is there was a procedural issue because this is something that's embedded in budget it needs 10 councillors to vote to even bring that notice of motion forward and it was far too messy so it's been um, delayed until july the 4th 
until the people who wish to change can actually talk to administration. Thanks for your clarification. Thanks for squeezing us in with your busy schedule. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Can I add one thing? Sure. It is two weeks from parade day. Just wanted to remind everybody of that, the uh, Stampede Parade. And I also wanted to give a quick shout out to the committee of Stampede that went out to visit 24 newcomer families in Calgary together with royalty and horses to welcome them to our city. They've been doing that over the last uh, few days here. And it's really a good sign that uh, people are excited about Stampede in two weeks. Good stuff. Yeah, well, looking forward to it. Uh, Thanks for your time, Madam Mayor. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. It's Calgary Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Summer has uh, arrived. We're here a couple of days into it, but you might not be thinking about protecting your skin from sun damage, but you should be. Joining us this morning to talk about preventing skin damage and also to promote cancer protection is Dr. Fane Fry, dermatologist and author. Good morning to you, Dr. Fry. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Let's talk about this. Uh, we want to be sure uh, that we are protecting our skin, but a lot of us, it's not top of mind. How can we remember every day, Dr. Fry? That's really simple. Everybody remembers to brush their teeth, put your sunscreen right next to your toothbrush, and after you brush your teeth, put your sunscreen on. And that's the bottom line, right? It's all about sunscreen. Are there certain types or, I mean, what number? I, some, you know, I can go up past 100 when it comes to sunscreen. Is that what we should be using every day? Look, the best sunscreen is the one you feel comfortable using. Some people like the sticks. Some people like the sprays, although never spray directly into your face. As far as the number, uh, 30 or higher, uh, broad spectrum means it covers a larger wavelength of more protection of UVA, UVB, both the burning and the tanning rays. The most important thing is to get it on every single day, your um, exposed skin. Okay, let's talk about that SPF, the sun protection factor. You know, they're widely ranging from lower to much higher. The, the 30 SPF, I've, I've heard about that a lot, but then I've heard it recently, Dr. Fry, that we shouldn't use 30, we should always use stronger. Is that the case? Well, remember, SPF is sun protection factor. It's how much energy it causes you to get a sunburn in people who are wearing sunscreen compared to when they don't wear sunscreen. So the higher the number, the more the protection. Um, over 30 is adequate, but it's only gonna, you're only going to get that protection if you put it on liberally. And unfortunately, most people don't put on enough, so you might not get the SPF 30. So that's where I would suggest people go with the 50 or the 70, so that if you kind of skimp a little, you're getting the protection you should be getting. What about when it comes to summertime skincare for our kids, maybe even kids with sensitive skin? Is there anything that we should be watching for as an ingredient or that SPF number? Anything that we need to be looking at specifically for the kids? Well, for the kids, again, go with the high SPF. Keep them covered. You know, they sell those great little UPF shirts now, the long sleeves, mm-hmm. so that there's not a lot of exposed skin. That would minimize how much sunscreen you need to put on them. And then in the selection, sunscreen comes as two forms. We have the mineral ones that have titanium dioxide and zinc oxide, and we have everything else. The advantage to those is they're more inert. They don't really make a lot of reactions to things, fewer allergies. And with kids and people with sensitive skin, Choosing sunscreens that have uh, titanium dioxide or zinc oxide is probably optimum. Um, They do leave a little white cast sometimes on the skin, but your three-year-old isn't going to complain. And so for children, again, keep their skin covered. Keep that sunscreen on their exposed surfaces. Select the physical blocks or the mineral blocks or the ones with the titanium dioxide and the zinc oxide. And enjoy the outdoors, hopefully in the shade. 
Okay, well, besides the shade, with summer comes water, Dr. Fry. Kids love the water, the sprinkler, the pool. How often should we be reapplying if we've taken a dip into the pool or run through the sprinkler? Yeah, great question. So a lot of these great products are water-resistant, and if you're going to be swimming or or, or sweating, uh, every two hours they should be reapplied. And even if you're not sweating or swimming, it's still hot, and you're always doing some bit of sweating. So reapplication every two to three to four hours, if you're not in the pool or sweating heavily, is still advised. I was a little surprised to read that after five sunburns, your risk of melanoma doubles. Now, for those of us of a certain age that didn't use sunscreen, we used oil back in the day. Um, I would imagine that is a, you know, a pretty high factor. So how often should we be going to a dermatologist to get our skin looked at and checked out? So I always tell people to check yourselves once a month. Look for things that are changing. Look for um, new growth. If you have moles, if you have a family history, uh, if your primary care doctor says, geez, you know, you have some areas of concern, once a year it is advised to see a, a skin specialist, a dermatologist. Okay, time to myth bust. Here's a question for you. I'd heard a long time ago that you want to apply that sunscreen 30 minutes or longer before you go outside. Is that true, and does that uh, change the efficacy of the sunscreen? Yeah, well, certainly with physical blocks, that's not true. That's uh, just a physical block. Those are going to be uh, effective right away. Uh, the non-physical blocks, all those, uh, you know, the non-mineral blocks, um, I have yet to see anybody put sunscreen on and go outside and, and get a burn right away. So I can't give you a time. Um, honestly, I don't think science has that all figured out yet. It does It does take a little time for the for the sunscreens that are the non-mineral sunscreens to film the, get the layer that they need over, you know, on the skin, but um, I would not be watching my watch. Get your sunscreen on after you brush your teeth. By the time you get dressed and get out there, you're going to be good to go. Do I want to ask you a question related to your book? You've got a book called The Skincare Hoax, How You're Being Tricked Into Buying mm-hmm. Lotions, Potions, and Wrinkle Cream. Uh, d- you know, does mm-hmm. that sort of, does your book touch on um, skincare products as well for summertime, for, you know, whether it comes to, to tanning or burning or all that sort of thing? Or is it more about, you know, the actual daily stuff that we do? really a way to um, advocate for the consumer. Uh, skincare company is a great industry. It makes great products, but it advocates for their shareholders. And um, there's just a lot of products out there that we that are recommended, uh, make people are made to feel bad that they need when they don't need all those products, where the one product they do need is sunscreen. And I do detail that in, in, uh, in, in one of the chapters in the book and why. So uh, again, my, my, my goal is to advocate for a consumer who doesn't understand the ingredient listing, right? The average person doesn't know propylene glycol and isopropyl myristate and triethanolamine. You don't know what's in those skincare bottles. Um, and as a chemist, I, I, I understand that. So I was able to use my chemistry knowledge, my experience as a dermatologist, and my years of measuring objectively products in the office um, to tell people what really works, what doesn't work, and what they really need. Super timely topic as we are now officially into summer. Thank you so much uh, for your advice and uh, your time, Dr. Fry. You're very welcome and have a wonderful time and and enjoy it up there in Calgary. Stay safe. Take care. Dr. Fane Fry, a board-certified dermatologist. You can find out more about what she does at fryface.com. Navigating the summer months can be quite challenging for separated or divorced parents with a lot on the calendar from scheduling family vacations between two households, decisions surrounding summer camps to family reunions and even weddings. With some advice on how to best make the summer season as smooth as possible in two house families, 
We're joined by Elizabeth Stewart, family lawyer and partner at Calgary-based Sobe Boyden Lens. Good morning to you, Elizabeth. Good morning. Thanks for having me on today. Thank you for being here. Now, in the grand scheme of things, in the 12 months of the calendar, is the summer season more challenging than the school year or just different challenges you think that two house families face? Yes, very good question. It can be uh, just because it's a different schedule. And so I find a lot, I mean, it depends on the file or the client base and how high conflict the two parties are. But it's always good to, I always tell my clients, summer comes very, very quickly. So you need to start thinking about the summer schedule. I would suggest in the new year, sort of January, February. When it comes to holidays, are there any rules? Like if, so, so if a parent wants to take the children out of country, do they have to have written parental consent from the other parent or does that need to be in the separation or divorce agreement at all? Yes, good question. So if a parent um, on their own wants to take a child across an international border, they will need a court order or a notarized letter. So that's very important to get organized beforehand. If they want to travel within Canada, that's not required. Let's talk about the, you know, the lawyers and, and having a good family lawyer is important and, and knowing what your rights are as a parent important, but the all-important separation agreement and putting those things that are important to both parties and particularly, and most importantly, the kids, how important is it to make sure you've really got some agreement and some really solid points in your separation agreement? Yes, I always say it's very good to have a very clear, delineated uh, parenting agreement in your contract particularly if there's a bit of conflict between the parties because if something's written out and clear and everybody's on the same page and understands, uh, it can prevent conflict between the parties, which is honestly in the children's best interests. Children should not be subject to conflict between their parents or at least be shielded as best they can. Liz, on that note, and I'm sure you, you know, I, I, I suspect I know your answer, but... You know, there are mediators and then there are lawyers. Does it, is it dependent on, you know, which way you go, depending on how, high, as you call it, high conflict the relationship or the breakup is? Yes. Um, I often attend mediation with my clients. I think it's a very good option. Uh, I always say go to court as a last resort because that's so adversarial and it's not really the best place for someone to determine your parenting schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, You can also attend mediation without lawyers. There's a lot of uh, available and great mediators in Calgary, and I think it's a great option for parties. Good. Let's talk about to to, to make the difference between spousal support and child support. And obviously, if you have kids, that's what we're focusing on in today's conversation here. But the difference, the the child support ends at about the age of 18, I believe. But the, the spousal support, how does that come into play? And how do I, you know, know when that has run its course? Well, uh, (laughs) that's a big question, and that is very dependent on the circumstances. And child support uh, can stop at 18 when the child is done uh, high school, but it also can extend uh, depending on if they're considered a child of the marriage pursuant to the Divorce Act, and that will depend on if they're still financially dependent on the parent. So sometimes if a child has a disability and has to stay at home 
or another situation where child support would be payable beyond the age of majority would be if they're, say, full-time in university or some sort of post-secondary education. <clears throat> Spousal support is completely different, and that's sort of compensation or money paid to the other spouse mm-hmm. for compensation um, for duties that they had sort of during the marriage, if they gave up their career, mm-hmm. for example, for uh, raising children or just because they could potentially need spousal support. And uh, you'd really have to get talk to a lawyer about the specifics about how long and mm-hmm. how... Is that- it based on your the length of your relationship, the amount of money one partner might be making over the other, all those kind of things? All those yeah. things matter. Okay. Yes, Sue, for sure. Okay. Okay. Another question here for you. What if one parent, you know, isn't necessarily working, but could work? Does, is, does that have any effect on, on spousal or child support? Yes, absolutely. Because child support and spousal support uh, are based on the party's incomes. And so if one party isn't working, um, they're not going to be required to pay as much. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very interesting. Okay, yeah. so let, let's break this down because I know that, uh, you know, you work as a lawyer. You're a partner at a, a law firm, so it, it's in your best interest to be busy. But you're, you're, you're very busy because <laughs> yes. of the nature of society and after COVID and such. But keeping things out of the lawyer's offices, out of the courts, the mediation, that is something that uh, I believe every lawyer I've spoken with wants to be the main goal, to, to keep it out of the system. Sometimes easier said than done, but you advise your clients to try the mediation first and and, uh, those sorts of things? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, when, you know, I've spent a number of days in trial over the last month, and it ends up really being expensive for the parties. Uh, It causes more conflict for the Mm -hmm. parties. It's worse on the kids. So I always try and, you know, suggest to my clients, work with your ex-spouse as best you can. Um, it's better for the family, it's better on the pocketbook, and then if you can't do that with just the two of you, let's try mediation with a neutral party, and then if we can't deal with that in mediation, uh, last resort is unfortunately court. Mm -hmm. However, I mean, I'm in court quite a bit, so it happens. Yeah. Do you find yourself in court more uh, now, sort of coming out of the pandemic, did uh, it seems like anyway, a lot of people just, they kind of, the, the pandemic and spending that much time with their spouse made them realize this is not working anymore. Are we seeing a higher number of separations, divorces, et cetera? Are you seeing it in your office? Uh, good question. I, we've, I definitely feel very busy. It's It was very busy post-pandemic, I would say. It's just sort of steady now. Yeah. Um, before the pandemic, we were very busy as well, so... It's hard to judge, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, let, let, let's break this down because, you know, if, I, if I'm if i in this world, nobody gets married with the, the plan and intention to get divorced or separated or to, to, to have that dissolve. How do I or how does somebody find a family lawyer when, when, when they face this? Is it is it best word of mouth or advertising? How do, how do you find a lawyer that's a good fit for you? And is that something like do you did date a lawyer and see if they're a good fit for you before you commit? <laughs> <laughs> Speed dating. Not literally. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes, good question i mean the lawyer client relationship's very important and the client's going to be telling the family law lawyer you know sort of intimate details of their whole life their finances probably the break how the breakdown of the marriage happened or the breakdown of the relationship so it's it's very important to yeah talk to your friends see who they've used who they know look online you can also um 
just book an initial consult with a lawyer um, to see if you are a good fit. I always think it's important to, before retaining me, to come in and meet me personally or, you know, we can book a Zoom call. I think that's a very important thing, not just to Google and pick the first lawyer who, yeah. who you find online. It's a, it's a high-stress time for sure when something's dissolving a relationship. So, yeah, you, you need to have a relationship with your lawyer. Thank you so much for coming in and, and chatting with us. A, a, a difficult time in the summer, I would imagine, for a lot of couples. So thanks for your perspective. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Elizabeth Stewart, family lawyer and partner at Sobe Boyden Lens. You can go online, SobeBoydenLens.com. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.